Amen. As we have gathered here today, here at First Norfolk on Kempsville and First Norfolk on Volvo, uh, we want to take a moment at both of our locations right now and let's thank God for the mothers. And let's take a moment and celebrate our mothers. Thank God for you. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for my mother. I mean, that's just truth. I mean, that's just straight up truth. Uh, what a joy it is for us to celebrate. But as we celebrate mothers, let me go ahead and say this. Uh, this is not a happy day for everyone. Uh, this is a challenging day for some. Uh, for those who um, have been uh, trying uh, for motherhood uh, in uh, traditional ways or even more extravagant ways, and, and it has not happened yet, uh, this is a painful day. Uh, for those who've experienced uh, loss of the mother of their life, uh, their mother's no longer here. This day is a memory of her, but it's also a painful memory that she's not here. Uh, for those who uh, are mothers, but their children uh, have uh, left uh, or uh, have died. This is a painful day. You might say, well, Eric, why are you saying all this stuff? You're a down, uh, Debbie Downer. No, I, I'm just trying to be honest about what this day is. Uh, in my home, uh, this is a great celebration day. Um, and, and in the home in which I was raised, this is a great celebration day. But, but in the church, we know that it's not that way for everybody. And we need to acknowledge that and be sensitive. Uh, to those who are struggling through this day. And we want you to know, if you're struggling today, we want you to know that we are here for you and we love you and we want to be a, 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 a source of strength and support for you. Uh, we do care. And so just wanted to say that and share that uh, at both of our locations. Um, and uh, we're thankful for uh, this opportunity to do this. Now, as we do talk today at it, it will have a lot of mom in here, and so I, I just want you to be ready for that. But, but uh, we're talking about DNA and who we are as a church, First Norfolk. We've been looking at, at who we are as a church and, and what makes us who we are. Um, we've looked at um, our mission and our vision, uh, our purpose. We've looked at our core values. Last week, we began looking at uh, how we measure who we are. In other words... What is it that makes up every individual member of First Norfolk? What are the qualities and the characteristics of, uh, that we're looking for in, in individual members? What, what's the expectation we believe God has of us and we have of each other? What does that look like? And we start and we categorize those measurements or those expectations around love God, love others, and live the mission. Last week we looked at loving God. And it came out of the greatest commandment. An attorney walks up to Jesus and says, uh, tell me what the greatest commandment of all is. And Jesus tells him, the greatest commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so we, we started there. And, and loving God is, is not, um, uh, not a small thing for a follower of Christ or the church. It is the thing for a follower of Christ and for the church. And, and, and yet we know that love isn't just a sentiment that we pass on. There are going to be a lot of Mother's Day cards passed around. 
And you're going to write down these sentiments uh, toward your mother, and, and that's great, and that's fine. Or you're going to write it on social media, and that's great, and that's fine. Uh, but, you know, my wife wants to see that sentiment in action 364 days, not just one day, right? And so that, that's, and that's the way it should be. That's what love does. And, and so we ask the question, what does love do? If we say we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, what does that love list look like? What, what do we do to show God that we love Him? And we uh, categorize it in five ways. We love God when we worship weekly, pray daily, give faithfully, live biblically, and grow to be more like Jesus. And, and those are, that's not the exhaustive list. There are other ways that we can show God that we love Him, but those are five that we want to highlight as a church as, as important to this family of faith in showing God that we love Him. All right, so, so that was love God. Today we're looking at love others. All right, so again, Mark chapter 12, we, verses 29, 30, and 31. The context, again, the attorney comes up and says, what is the greatest of all commandment? And Jesus responds in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, the greatest commandment is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps on. And he says, and the second like unto it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so as we look at these two statements that Jesus uh, packs together and, and mashes together as one, uh, what does that mean to us? Well, as we looked at loving God, we know that's the main thing, but here's what Jesus is teaching, and really the, the whole New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, but especially fleshed out in the New Testament, what it's teaching us is if we're going to love God, then we must love others the way He has loved us. As, as followers of Christ, as First Norfolk, we say, yes, we give ourselves to love God supremely and we give ourselves to love others sacrificially. This is not a minor thing. This is a major thing for who we are. And Jesus said it a little bit differently in different passages, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Just listen to how Jesus describes it here. John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Not as, uh, and, and, and this is a commandment that he gives us, uh, and he says, Even as I have loved you. That's the manner of it. So what is this love that we're supposed to love each other in what way? The way that Jesus has loved us. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. And then he adds this. By this, people will know that you're my disciple. By your love, one for the other. This is huge. As the church, people need to know who we are. And Jesus says 
the mark, the characteristic that's going to display that you belong, that we belong to the family of God is our love for one another. That one another, however, is not just those who are in my clan, my, clu- my, 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 my crew, my, my, my family, my kin. The one another, as Jesus describes it later, it's the stranger that I've yet to meet. It's the person that I encounter on the street. It's the one who's in need, the one who has prosperity. That's the person who is my neighbor. Uh, the, good, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan is how Jesus defines neighbor. It's, uh, the, you all know the story of the Good Samaritan. The lawyer responds to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor then? Jesus said, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. So the attorney, seeking to justify himself, asks, who then is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He goes like this, there was a Samaritan who was going uh, up from Jericho, uh, and as he's making his way, he is going through the Judean hillside and the mountainside, and he's uh, attacked by robbers and bandits. And he's beaten up and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And a priest comes by and sees the Samaritan lying in the ditch and and, uh, passes him by and a and a, another religious person comes by and sees him in the, in the ditch and leaves him to die. And another religious person comes by and says, I don't want to fool with him either. So you have all these church-like folk who see the Samaritan dying on, and bleeding and beaten up and bruised on the side of the road. And all of them pass him by and don't care. And, and, and then this guy comes up who is not a religious person probably outside the realm of, of uh, what is acceptable in good Jewish folks' minds. He, he's a Samaritan, and this Samaritan, who wouldn't, you wouldn't expect him to do much for this guy, but he stops, and he binds his wounds, puts him on his own uh, beast of burden, takes him to the hospital, the ER, pays the bill, sets him up in the hospital, in a hospital suite, and says, I will be your Affordable Care Act today, pays the bill for this man, and tells the hospital, whatever it costs to take care of him, I'll take care of him. And then Jesus asked the attorney, he says, who then was neighbor to the guy who fell among thieves? It wasn't the priest or the teacher of the law. It wasn't the religious guy. You know who it was? It was the Samaritan. And so Jesus said, now that's, that's loving your neighbor. I think the question that hits us as we look at the teaching of Jesus on loving others. Are we doing a good job of loving others? What do people think about Jesus when they see how well or how poorly we love others? What do people think about the family of faith when they see how well or how poorly you love your friends, your neighbors, or your strangers? My goodness, 
What would they think about the church if they saw how we loved even each other sometimes? See, now, this isn't, this isn't about what you want. It's not about what I want. Man, this is about the holiness and the righteousness and the glory of God. And this is how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live loving others sacrificially. We've got to love well. And so Mother's Day is a pretty good day to talk about this because if you think about sacrificial love, you think of mothers. At least I do. I mean, I have a mom and I have a mother to my four daughters who have modeled for me what it means to love through the thick and the thin of life. When it's easy and when it's hard. When it's joyful and when it's sorrowful, when, when the road is uphill and when the road is downhill and when the road is flat in between. They have modeled for me, they have taught me lessons on love. My wife, you imagine what it means to be faithful in loving someone like me. I'm really not joking. You have no idea how hard it can be to love someone like me. And yet she has been faithful, persevering, patient. She has been loving enough to tell me truth about myself that I didn't want to hear. She has been forgiving and merciful and gracious to me beyond measure. If I want to know how to love well, I'm looking to my wife because she's living that love that Jesus poured into her and she's living it and loving it toward others. Now that, that's what I need to see. My mama was the same way and, and, and yet my, my wife has been doing it longer than my mother ever had to. Um, but today I, I, I want us to consider this this wondrous love that we're supposed to demonstrate. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 14 or 15, uh, the apostle John says, hey, listen, you are going to show which family you're part of by the kind of life you live and how well you love. He said, you're either part of God's family or you're part of not God's family. That would be the devil. And, and it's not just how well we live. It's not just doing the right thing. It is also loving well. Guys, how you love one another, how you love the stranger, how you love the person who's not your brother, that matters. It matters profoundly to who we are as the people of God. It matters in this church. See, we need to love well, by this the world knows whether we belong to Jesus or not. Can I ask for you to just take a moment and evaluate your own journey as a follower of Jesus? Would you just take a moment and ask yourself, could I be convicted of being part of God's family by how I've loved person A, B, C, D, E, F, G? Could I be convicted of being part of God's family by how well I've loved the stranger, the person who's not like me, the person who doesn't like me? 
See, it's not just about loving the person that loves you, but it's also about loving the person that despises you. You see what I'm saying? No, this, isn't, this isn't easy, but this is what God's love has done to us. And if we love God supremely, we're going to love each other this way. How well are you loving others? And, and I'm, I'm going to get in trouble, but I have to say it. This includes people of different faith, people who mean us harm, people who don't look like us, smell like us, live where we live, eat what we eat. It includes all of them. We are to love them. Even those who are most hostile toward us in the same way that God has loved me and you. Are we loving well? It's easy to love the people that you're sitting next to on the pew, probably. It's easy to love the person that loves you back. But do you love the person that doesn't love you back the same way that Jesus loved you when you didn't love him back? There's a little boy named Jeremy who was playing in a playground. He's eight or nine years old, and, and uh, this was a neighborhood playground, and uh, he, was, he was swinging on the swings and sliding down the slides, and he was uh, going over the monkey bars. He was having a great time. When all of a sudden, he fell from the monkey bars, those, those things, the, the ladders thingies. And, and he fell. He slipped. He couldn't hold his grip. He fell, and he bruised his knee, and it started to bleed. And he started to cry, and he cried out for his mama. All of a sudden, Miss Clemens appeared. She knelt over Jeremy, and, and she, she took her uh, handkerchief, and she wiped away the dust and the dirt and the pebbles that had gotten stuck in, in his knee and, 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 and began to wipe away the blood and, and, and put her handkerchief on that knee. And all the while, she's whispering in his ear, it's going to be okay. Honey, it's going to be all right. One of the mamas who was there and had seen all this transpire, she walked over and she said to Miss Clemens, now that's the way a mother's supposed to be. Miss Clemens looked up and said, I'm not this boy's mother. I don't even know his name. The little boy looked up and said, my name's Jeremy. Miss Clemens said, oh, hi, Jeremy. It's so good to meet you. Miss Clemens began to talk to Jeremy, and she found out that Jeremy's mom, Suzanne, uh, was at work. And Miss Clemens began to understand what, has, what had happened. And so she said that, 
she told Jeremy, Jeremy, why don't you come with me and let's go to my house and let me clean off your knee and, and give you a little snack, maybe, maybe have a little uh, 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 Kool-Aid or something, and, and, and we'll wait for your mama to get home from work. And, and whatever time she gets home from work, we'll go to your house and we'll wait for her there. And, and so Jeremy said, okay, and, and he, he just had fallen in love with Miss Clemens already because Miss Clemens had, had, had cared for him and had loved on him. So Miss Clemens takes Jeremy uh, to her house. She bandages his knee and puts a little uh, medicine on there and blows on it, makes sure he's okay, gives him some Kool-Aid and some ice cream and uh, cookies, and they, they're having a grand time. And then about the time that they, they're, they're ready for uh, Suzanne, Jeremy's mother, to come home, they go over to the duplex, a uh, little, little one-room uh, one bath duplex where Suzanne and Jeremy lived, and Miss Clemens waits for her on the step. Suzanne uh, comes walking up the street, and she sees Miss Clemens with Jeremy, and her heart sinks because she thinks she's in trouble. She, all kinds of fears began to um, awaken in her mind and her heart because she had left her eight or nine year old alone, but she really didn't have any choice. Not really. She, she was just barely making ends meet. She was a single mom. Her, her husband had left them, and she hadn't heard from him. Just trying to make ends meet, doing all that she knew to do, um, using every uh, pay, every tip that she makes at the cafe to, to pay for food on their table and keep a roof over their head. And she was coming up short still and and she just couldn't afford help, uh, taking care of, of her boy uh, for childcare, even having a babysitter. And of course, Miss Clemens had understood all that pretty quickly, having spent the afternoon with Jeremy. And so she sees Suzanne coming up, and immediately, as only a mother's heart could, she knew the fear in Suzanne's mind and how her mind was racing. And so Miss Clemens runs up to Suzanne and she says, Suzanne, I am Miss Clemens, and I want you to know what a joy your son Jeremy has been this afternoon. He fell at the playground, and I just happened to be sitting on the park bench at the time, and, and I invited him to my home and, and wanted to help him out and, and, and gave him a snack, and I hope that's okay. I know you're such a dedicated mother, but I thought it would be okay to spoil him a little bit. Suzanne began to cry a little because of the kindness of this woman. Suzanne thanked Miss Clemens. Thank you so much for taking care of Jeremy. That's such a joy. And, and she runs over to Jeremy and she grabs her boy and she hugs him and says, Mama's missed you. I love you so much. And Miss Clemens isn't finished. She says, now Suzanne, I know that, that, that you are a hard worker and that you're a good mother. But these are tough times, and I just want you to know I, I want to be a help to you. You don't know me, and maybe you want to get to know me before you accept my offer, but I want to offer to you my services free of charge. It would be a blessing to me if you would let me take care of Jeremy every day that you have to work. Instead of him going to the playground by himself, I'd love to be there with him or him to do his homework in my home. I, I would love the opportunity to do that. And Suzanne, again, tears just begin to fall. And she says, you are an answer to prayer. 
days pass, months pass, relationship builds, and pretty soon, Miss Clemens has a heart for Suzanne and Jeremy that she didn't have before. And beyond just uh, being friendly and neighborly, now she counts them as family. She invites Suzanne and Jeremy over one Sunday afternoon after church into her home, and she says, I want you to come in, and I want you to uh, eat uh, Sunday lunch with me, and I've got a proposition for you. And, and so Suzanne came with Jeremy, and Jeremy was so excited, and Suzanne was so excited. They dressed up for the occasion. They ate the dinner, and at the end of the dinner, Miss Clemens says, Suzanne and Jeremy, y'all have become like family to me, and I don't have any. I would like for you to come and live with me. My house is big enough for all of us, and it would save on uh, rent. And Suzanne, you could uh, cut down maybe on your work hours and go to school and pursue your dream. And I would just love, I count you not just as neighbors, but now as friends. Suzanne and Jeremy were so excited to move in out of that one-bedroom duplex into a Three-bedroom, three ba- uh, two-bath home. It was Jeremy got his own room. It was so exciting for him. And they lived their life that way, getting to know each other. Not long after Jeremy graduated from high school and went away to college, Miss Clemens died. Suzanne and Jeremy had... Uh, had hearts broken over their mother-grandmother-type person no longer in their life. They were the ones who helped prepare the funeral, but they found out that Miss Clemens had an attorney, and, and the attorney wanted to schedule a meeting with them. And so they, they met the attorney at the house, and the attorney comes in, and he opens the envelope and pulls out the will, and other documents, and he begins to read. He says, Suzanne and Jeremy, you may not know it, but Miss Clemens was married many, many years ago. As a young girl, she got married, and she was happily married, and she got pregnant. They were anticipating the birth of their son or daughter. But Physical problems happened and she miscarried. And in that day, the medical uh, opportunities were not as great as they are now. And she had to have a surgery and she was never going to have children again. Her husband, to whom she had been married not long, left Miss Clemens that day because he couldn't imagine going the rest of his life without having any children. So Miss Clemens was alone. Her mother and her father had both died. Miss Clemens was an only child. She really didn't have any aunts or uncles that she knew about. She had received a pretty significant inheritance from her family's estate when her parents died. And she still had that, but other than that, she was alone. The attorney said, but then that day that she found a little eight-year-old boy named Jeremy whose knees were bruised 
That day she found a friend who would become family. And today she gives you, Jeremy and Suzanne, the entirety of her inheritance. The home belongs to you. All her possessions belong to you. Because you are her family. As we look at what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ, we see how he has loved us with a passionate love to send Jesus to us, bruised souls, wounded hearts, broken by our sin. And in love for us, he picks us up and he offers us healing and wholeness. He offers us forgiveness for sin and freedom from shame and guilt through the death of Jesus on a cross and his resurrection from the dead. He invites us into his family. If we will repent our sin and believe on Jesus, then he offers us the inheritance of his family forever. Now that's what God has done for us. That's the love that he has shown us. And because he has shown us love like that, when we receive it, our natural, supernatural response must be to love others the way he has loved us. As we look at how to give ourselves to love others sacrificially, there are three things in application I just want to bring your way. First, is that we love others sacrificially when we make neighbors friends through invitation. Like Miss Clemens went to a strange little boy that she did not know and treated him as if she were his mother. So we should love others who are strangers or neighbors, distant friends uh, of friends. We should treat them... And open our heart and our home to them so that those who once were strangers become friends. My wife has taught me lessons about that, about this opening arms and hearts to strangers. If, If it were left up to me, our home would be cocooned and closed in perpetuity. That's the way I roll. I I like it like that, but... My wife has a heart. I don't. She does. (laughs) My wife has shown me what it means to love others the way Jesus has loved her. My children uh, have many times uh, at spring break or fall break uh, called home and said, we're bringing home our friends I remember the first, one of the first occasions that this happened. I said, okay, fine, whatever. And, and, and I walk in the door, and there were like, I don't know, a dozen <laughs> on top of my four. That's really not an exaggeration. It's insane. I didn't know these people. On top of that, I'm the only guy. But that's what my wife does. She opens the home, and she she invites them to come in. 
she fixes them food and snacks and treats them like family. That's, that's what she does. She invites them to be part of her life. That's what love does. You know, when we think about how we are to love others well, we need to think in terms of inviting them to be part of our life, them being the stranger, them being the, the, the distant neighbor, them being someone other than our close friends. The, it's, it's stretching beyond our comfort zone, definitely beyond my comfort zone, and inviting them into our home, opening our heart, our home, our arms to them so that neighbors and strangers become friends. It's inviting them to our life group so that, so that they can be surrounded in the love of Christ that marks every believer of Christ in our life group. It's, it's inviting them to our life group. You say, well, well they're not going to enjoy the Bible study. Well, you're not inviting them for the Bible study. You're inviting them for the love to be swallowed up in this wondrous Blanket of love that, that is to mark every life group that we have. Sure, the Bible study is essential and important, but, but you're not inviting the stranger, the distant neighbor to, to be a part of a Bible study. You want them to be part of these relationships. You want the neighbor and the stranger to become friend. You invite them to church. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? You say, well, they're not going to understand what you're talking about, and they're not going to understand the music that we sing. They're definitely not going to understand all the different sitting and standing and moving and shaking that we do, and, and it's going to be unusual for them. Guys, they're not looking for clarity of a preacher's talk. They're looking for friends that will make a difference in their life, and that's what we offer here. To blanket people in love. That's, that's what we offer here. We want to make neighbors friends through invitation. Inviting them to our home or to, to, to our life group or to our church. We, we make uh, friends, family through conversation. Oh, we, we need to have a talk with people. We, I, I can't tell you how many times my wife has sat at that table in our kitchen or in our dining room with these strange people that I do not know in my home. Not for a day or two. I mean, it's, spring break is a week. Fall break is three or four days. You know what I'm saying? That's painful for a guy like me. Until I walk downstairs and I see my wife sitting at a table of three or four ladies, young ladies, asking them about their journey in life, their journey with Jesus, and sharing with them how that they can experience the full measure of life in friendship with God. They, that conversation is so important. You know, the Bible talks about uh, a grandmother and a mother duo, Lois and Eunice. The, the grandmother and mother of a boy named Timothy. 
In 2 Timothy 1, 5, it says that Lois and Eunice both had a genuine faith, and that genuine faith they passed on to Timothy. Timothy became a, a missionary worker with the Apostle Paul. Uh, uh, under his tutelage, he then became pastor of, of probably the largest church in Asia Minor at that time, the church at Ephesus. And, and when, when Paul's talking to Timothy and writing his letter in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, he says, have confidence in the things that you have learned. And from whom you've learned them, that from childhood you have learned the holy scriptures which have made you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Lois and Eunice had the conversation with Timothy and shared with him how that he could find life in its fullest measure through faith in Christ. See, we show love to people not by keeping them in the dark about the light of the world. We show love to people by sharing with them how that they can find life to escape the darkness of their soul, how that they can experience forgiveness in the midst of their sin, how that they can find hope when despair is the diet of their everyday life. We need to have the conversation. That's what our 10,000 conversations are about. It's where we have these life-changing conversations with, with those who are now our friends. Uh, sit down with someone at work or, or on the street or, or, or down, the, down the way and, 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 and share with them that, yes, God sent Jesus to, to, to be the forgiveness for our sin and he died on a cross in your place to pay the price for your sin, to bridge the distance between you and me who are sinners and a holy God. This is what God has done. And if you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus and give him your life, then you can be rescued today and find life in all of its satisfaction and contentment. We need to have that conversation. And that's how we show love. How loving would it be for a mama to withhold the remedy for chicken pox, if there was a remedy for chicken pox. Mama doesn't give that remedy to her child or, or withhold uh, uh, the remedy for um, the common flu, if there was a remedy for it. And, and a mama looks at her son and says, you know what? I, I love you, but I just want you to suffer through the flu for a while. I can fix it. I can offer you the medicine that will fix that ailment, but I'm not going to give it to you because, you know, I want you to find it on your own. Well, that, that's not very loving. If you've got the remedy, you want to share the remedy. That's what loving people do for others, and that's what the conversation is all about. We need to make friends, family through a conversation we need to make neighbors friends through an invitation. And finally, we need to make our family stronger through serving. Um, three words that are practically synonymous. Mother, love, serve. Practically synonymous. Second grade teacher was uh, teaching her class one week about uh, the magnet and demonstrating the magnet and, and how it works and how it picks up uh, metal objects and, and all that. And that, that was a wonderful, fun time for the class. Later in the week, she's giving a test, and, and one of the questions on the test read like this said, my, uh, my name has six letters. The first letter 
is an M. I pick up things. What am I? As she graded the, cl- uh, the test, the teacher was astonished to discover that almost half the class answered the question, not magnet, but mother. It makes sense because mothers are known to be servants. And that's the definition of loving others. We love others when we serve them. That's how Jesus demonstrated his love is he came as a servant and a bond slave to bring rescue to sinners like you and me. I don't know where you fit in the service scale, but I can tell you right now and listen to it very clearly. You can serve without loving, but you cannot love without serving. Today, we say we love others, and yet we refuse to serve them, then we don't love others. We need to serve each other. I love to see life groups in action, these life groups that are healthy and strong and being made stronger because they commit themselves to serve others, not just to sit around and gripe and grouse about the world or about life or about their church, but these are life groups that get together and they hear God's word, but more importantly, they hear God's call to move forward together and show love to others, to serve together. We see them in action and as we do our big serve weekend. We, we see them in action uh, every week as they minister to those who are hurting or sick or, or, or those who are struggling. This, this past weekend, a, a life group surrounded one of their own who has lost a loved one and, 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 and committed themselves to serve that family even by serving at the funeral. This is, this is what life groups do. I've seen a life group go to homes and, and, and uh, people they do not know and, and fix roofs and sinks and floors. Uh, This is what a life group does. This is what it means to serve. We are made stronger as a family of faith, not when we get smarter, not when we have better programs. We get stronger when we serve together. And the question is, will you join us in serving? Will you join us in serving? I pray that you will. See, the good news for us today is that God in His great grace has given us His amazing love through the person of Jesus Christ. The good news for us today is that through God's grace and according to His good pleasure, He sent Jesus to pour His love into us. And when by faith We trust Jesus and surrender ourselves into the grip of God's grace through faith in Christ. In that moment, God gushes out the reservoir of his love that is limitless in heaven and pours that love into us. This is what we've got. The question is, are we sharing that limitless resource of amazing sacrificial love with others. Here's the way it should be. I know you and you know Christ. And so you love me 
And you know me, and I know Christ. And so you're being loved by me. The way it's supposed to work is that that we're supposed to walk down the street and we are supposed to be ambassadors of this life-giving, life-shaping love. When we get on Facebook, God help us all. We're supposed to be ambassadors of this love. Maybe here's the better question. Does anybody know that you're a follower of Jesus or do they want to believe that you're a follower of Jesus by what they read? on your social media outlets. Today, today my prayer is that you would be swallowed up in the love that God has offered us through Jesus Christ, that his spirit would melt our hearts today to be soaked in his love. But not only that, that we would share that love with each other that we would give ourselves to sacrificially love others. Will you bow your heads with me, please? In these next few moments, as we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, as we give ourselves uh, to respond to his word, as we think and consider all that he's done for us, I want to invite you to worship the Lord with all your heart, to celebrate that love that he has displayed toward you, I want to invite you to to sing with a whole heart in celebration of his love for you. I want to invite you to this altar. If if you're here and you feel um, less loved and you believe you ought, then come to this altar and ask God to shower you again with his love. Maybe you're here today and you have yet to experience that personal friendship with God through faith in Christ and you need to be... um, Here and now, choose Christ as your rescuer, as your king. I invite you to come to one of the ministers that will be here and experience his love. Wherever God has brought, whatever God has brought you here for, understand he has brought you here for something. I invite you to respond as he leads. Now, Father, as we have gathered here in your name to celebrate and sing your praise, I pray that you would saturate and soak our hearts with your love. Draw us to yourself. Lead us to celebration. Lead us to repentance. Lead us to find our souls satisfied even now in the love that you have displayed toward us. Now be glorified as we sing our praise and as we respond to you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.